When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, listeners of the Mad Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell, here today with a special guest, friend of the show, Dr. Jeb Card. Jeb, how you doing? Uh, doing all right on a on a Saturday morning. Good stuff. Yeah, it is it is a Saturday morning here. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Um, so for listeners that don't know, uh, Jeb is a assistant teaching professor for the Department of Anthropology at Miami University. In Ohio, not Florida. Yes, in Ohio, right? Um, in a, so, Oxford, so, Ohio, is that yes, correct? Yes, it's Oxford. So, so when I've been to the other Oxford, I know there's several, but the the one it, that gets confusing. I went to a post office once in there to mail something to me, and they were like, "What is going on here?" Uh, <laughs> and and then they they at least they used to. I don't know if they still do. They they like to t- sell a T-shirt here. Miami was a university when uh, Florida was still a Spanish colony, which is actually true. Uh, it's founded in 1809. <laughs> So <laughs> good stuff. Oh, that's a good shirt, man. Yeah. Some awesome stuff. So for those that don't know, um, Jeb's kind of background work is uh, focused on, I guess, I mean, what you would call spooky archaeology, right? Yeah, well, book, I mean, my, you- my, my dissertation is on Spanish colonial archaeology in El Salvador. I've done work on the classic Maya, Mesoamerica is where I'm trained. But most people that are going to listen to this show are going to know that I've been writing a lot about um uh, spooky archaeology. It's a book. Spooky archaeology, the myth and the science of the past. And the, the sort of the tagline I've used is why does stuff like the mummy's curse, ancient aliens and the Indiana Jones exist? And why do they matter? Right. And and currently you're on the in research of podcast with, with Blake uh, Smith. Yes. With yeah. Blake Smith, which is really good. A super good show. Yeah. We just I've, finished watching the first season. Uh, so it's basically the old in search of, you know, the Leonard Nimoy, the bam, 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 that, that thing. We're rewatching it. So it's not. We're not overdubbing, you know, we're not, it's not mystery science theater. We're talking about it. We're rewatching and we just finished season one. Would you like to guess what the most common subject of the 24 episodes of season one is? Ooh, I, um, I want to say aliens. There aren't, there are a couple of aliens. There's, there are three episodes that you could call about extraterrestrials, only one of which is UFOs and they actually don't talk about aliens. There's okay. one about Mar- life on Mars, one um, about uh, SETI, and then there's a couple about ancient aliens. All right. No, it's archaeology. There are seven episodes about archaeology out of 24, whereas there's two about monsters, one about UFOs in season one. It's so interesting. You know, uh-huh. it's it's a really funny thing. When, so, listeners, I seriously cannot suggest the book enough um spooky archaeology currently available on paperback go mm-hmm. get yourself a copy if you like this stuff it is it is a it is a wonderful read i mean there are very few books in this realm that i don't feel like i need kind of a chaser book for do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i need you know i'll read a book on um i don't know occult practices in america or something mm-hmm. and i'll read a chapter and then i'm like oh my god this is so it's interesting, but it's so dry that I need, you know, I need like a couple chapters of Harry Potter. 
<laughs> you know, to even out my palate, right? Yeah, because I mean, this sometimes book, it's hard. You got to get stuff across. Yeah, right. This book, though, is infinitely readable. I absolutely love it. I suggest it to everyone listening. I appreciate um, that. No, no problem, man. Seriously, it's such a good book. Uh, it's it's I, a lot of I, fun. I did try to make it. I mean, it's from an academic press, but I did try to very much make the audience like just people that are interested in this as well as colleagues who I'm like, you need to know why this stuff matters, why it's not just it's wrong. A lot of it is factually wrong from a materials perspective, but why this matters is a lot bigger than just aliens built the pyramids or didn't build the pyramids. Right. Well, one of the funny things. So so first off, I just I want to start off by saying, too, one thing that I always think is kind of funny with these academic books is the list of sources and information in the back. You know, so like your book, I think, is. Probably fifty percent source material, which it's, is great. It's, it's about you know I mean? one. It's about one fifth. It's a, it was about one hundred twenty thousand words, and about twenty thousand is the bibliography. And oh my goodness, there was a discussion yeah. about that, and I'm like, no, this needs to be in here. One, because the research was done, but two, because people need to be able to find this stuff, and a lot of this is not in one other place. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's a, even if you don't, I mean, and if you get the book, please read it. <laughs> you know what I mean, but even if just for the, even, you know, it's well worth it just for the list of sources, even to go through now and have, you know, hundreds of books on this subject and articles and things to go look at and read. It's a wonderful kind of, um, almost like you said, a full literature review of these kinds of fields. So for, first off though, what what made you what what made you write the book? What is it that you think? Why do you think spooky archaeology is important for your well, colleagues and for the public? Yeah, well, because I've come up with the term weird shitology for I think yep. a lot of what the people in the, uh, that listen to this show and other shows like it would would be interested in. I've been, in fact, like many Gen Xers, I used to watch a lot of In Search of as a kid. You know, I mean, like that. So I've, I've been interested in all like the things that this kind of sh- the show covers, UFOs and all that for a long time. And when I was in college, I actually really dis- – I had to decide. I was going to go to grad school. I'm like, I want to go do my archaeology or do I actually want to do ethnography, like anthropology of, of UFO believers and UFO culture? Mm-hmm. And while I didn't go to grad school for that, I've sort of ended up there also. And so that's always been an interest and it became an academic interest for me about 20 years ago and when I was in grad school. But uh, around seven, eight years ago – I started really wanting to look at it in relation to archaeology. And if you look at every pop cultural and also every sort of popular, not even just pop cultural like Indiana Jones, but popular as in popular ideas about the past and archaeology, which ones don't involve the supernatural? Which ones don't involve your chitology? You know, don't involve ancient aliens, don't involve curses, don't involve mystical artifacts in lost continents. So I kind of wanted to figure out why. And so I started working on this book, and there's a lot of things that happen. I find bits of a lost continent, as we can talk about if we want, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But uh, we don't have to. But um, on top of that, when I started working on it, I began to realize I was actually learning both, one, why do I care about archaeology? And two, why do people generally care about the notion of investigating the past? It started to become clear to me that this was not just about, oh, crystal skulls. It's like, hmm. How do people actually experience the past? How do they understand it is a big chunk of the answer to these questions. So it's starting to become an archaeology theory book. Don't take that the wrong way. It still is about crystal skulls. It still is about Cthulhu. It still is about ancient aliens. But you're going to learn why people, why, why archaeology exists, like what well, this practice. It's an, it's so 
it's fascinating. Some of my favorite parts of the book are, are actually towards the beginning where you talk about kind of the beginnings of archaeology as a discipline and just how much of it was rooted in this site, these ideas of kind of mystical, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, like you said, lost continents and lost races. Yeah. And, uh, it is it is hard to find a Maya archaeologist before World War II. There are some, but certainly before World War One, it's almost impossible, that either wasn't a spy or looking for Atlantis or both. Which is just, which is crazy to think about, you know, and it is, but when I was reading it though, or as I was reading it, I was struck, I was, I was personally struck, you know, as someone who considers themselves to be, you know, fairly well read on topics and things, just how much of my own understanding of the past was pseudo historic. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was blown away. There was one section in particular that I thought was, um, one chat, one, 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 I guess not really a chapter, but a quote, I guess, was from chapter four. And you talk about there's this writing at uh, Gnosis, K N O S S O S. Knossos, Knossos. Knossos. Yeah. That's the, the way that I, <laughs> I'm trying I used to, to say it the right I way. Used to, I used to say it that way, and then somebody who works in that region corrected me. So, you know, I'm constantly. There we go. Well, class. so now I know it from the expert. Yeah, that's yeah. good stuff. Um, What's so fascinating, right? So you're talking about this writing, this these ancient cave writings that. Mm-hmm. Um, people today are like, oh my God, it's so fascinating and everything else. But then you actually mentioned that it was it was causing a similar sensation during the time of the Emperor Nero. Yeah. yeah. And it's like the that collapse of history you talk about came home for me. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like, oh my God, that's crazy. Yeah, you know, the, it's, the, it's like the classical oh Greeks were in many ways they conquered Egypt and yet we're still as mystified by Egypt as you'll find on the history channel today, in part because the history channel pulls from them, uh, you know, that from hermetic stuff. And yeah, the fact that 2000 years or 2,500 years ago, the, the Romans are, are like poking around in bronze age remains and tombs and coming out with stories of giants. And like, what is this strange writing? Is it from before the tower of Babel? And, you know, like, yeah, no, it, it's, I was surprised by a lot of this too. Like I loved working on this because it was like, Oh, what weird thing that's going to change how I see stuff. Am I going to learn today? (laughs) Yeah. Well, so that's, that's one thing. I think the underlying, if I, if I kind of had to at least give my own sort of quick and dirty thesis or main underlying thesis that I took away from the book was this idea of collapsed time yeah so so go yeah can you explain that can you explain that a little bit for listeners yeah so i mean it goes back i mean herodotus kind of talks about this like the quote-unquote age of men and age of heroes and it's sort of like that but basically if you go around the world and archaeology creates a third one and that or antiquity and archaeology and that's that that's like i think part of why archaeology is spooky um basically around the world people see time and there are some exceptions to this but it's a general generality in two ways one, the last couple hundred years, and it is a, on average about 200 years, writing modifies this a little but in oral history, but not as much as you might think. People treat the last couple hundred years like now, like they can imagine people like themselves a few hundred years ago. And so even if there's things that are wrong, and even if there's things that are like legendary, we still think of them as people like mm-hmm. George Washington, people tell stories about George Washington, cherry trees and so on that are not real but like we think of him as a real person with real motivations and real problems Mm. if you go much far the farther you go from that it quickly starts to get elsewhere and by the way think about all the ghost stories you know 
while there are a few ghost stories that are older than a couple hundred years, most of them aren't. And this is part of why, because we think of ghosts differently than we think of other kinds of supernatural entities, because they're more of myth. And that's the rest of it. You have this this kind of collapsed uh, like antiquity, where it just means old. So like, oh, the ancient Maya. It's like, they're the same time as like Charlemagne and, and the Anglo-Saxons. We don't we don't talk about ancient Charlemagne, I mean, you know, uh, and and all these other things. So like, no, it's medieval, but they don't think of it that way because it's got stone buildings and all this. So it looks, it's, it's collapsed. And uh, so everything of antiquity, which is just old, like, is it, is it of people like us? No, it's older than that. Then it's old. Um, often means that it gets tied in with the mythic and with the supernatural and the bigger. And even secular folks think this way. So like example, like dinosaurs, there are people, you know, like I see great paleo artists and all of that and people like, you know, obviously paleontologists, but most people, when they think of dinosaurs, they think of them in mythic terms. They think of them as monstrous. Mm-hmm. They think of them as bigger, not just literally bigger, but metaphorically bigger and having meaning like, oh, that went the way of the dinosaurs has meaning for us. We don't go that went the way of those those whales that evolved into dolphin. You know, like, you know, like or that went the way of uh, I don't know. Um, I can't even think of something like like an extinct mammal of some kind. You know, uh, that that went the way of the glyptodon. You're like, wait, I'm sorry, what, 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 what's what's that? Um, they are considered big and mythic, and the Big Bang, the big. Don't tell me that. I mean, I'm not saying that there's not science behind the Big Bang. Do not tell me people don't think of it in a quasi-religious sense, mm-hmm. like in a mythic. Myth doesn't mean, you know, unlike Mythbusters, myth doesn't mean in this sense untrue, like it's an untruth. It's Is it a story? Is it a notion that explains how the world is and is bigger than normal humans? So when those Romans were knocking around on Knossos and other places, they would find stuff of the Bronze Age. They honestly imagined Bronze Age warriors like Achilles and whatnot were substantially bigger and more badass and awesome and and all these things, not just that they were men like them or women like them, uh, but, you know, who did things. Like, they thought of them as bigger and bolder and literally larger. Mm-hmm. Archaeology, archaeology as, an, as a scientific profession, its job is to extend the one time into the other. It's to extend human time into antiquity and make it human, make it scientific, make it, you know, like now. And that's where the tension lies. And this is not just archaeology, paleontology, generally the, the whole geology, the whole the whole thing of modernity with deep time. Uh, all of these have that. But archaeology, because it's about people, gets mm-hmm. it the most. And it creates this kind of boundary, this sort of dawn of history thing, where if you look at a lot of what gets called alternative archaeology, a lot of it sits and is fascinated with right there. And in fact, what's fascinating, there's recently a YouTube video that that has been kind of floating around. I'm not going to say who it is, but they're a well-known person with interest in alternative ideas about the past. <laughs> and they, they would not agree with me on the material facts of things. They open up basically saying what I just said, but like mythic time. And therefore we look at myths from that time to understand it. What? Yeah, again, I, I don't, don't want to say who that is, but it's easy to sure, find. Sure, no, that's fine. But yeah, yeah. What I think is what I think is interesting with all this is I mean, so for instance, right? So like let's take like a well known Mayan 
um, kind of uh, archaeological site around. So Chichen Itza. Okay. Right? Yep. When when was Chichen Itza approximately built? Like what? Like well, that's seven... a that's a really complicated question because there's a couple of things. I'm not going to get into the complication. I'm just going to say there's a couple of some of the dating of Chichen has become a real problem. But basically, okay. but not like, oh, it's super old. Like, no, it's actually the end of it. Like, when exactly does it end and how does it end? But yeah, around okay. 700, I mean, 600, 700. And then when you think of like the the Castillo, like if you think of a Maya pyramid, probably the thing if you, unless you think of Star Wars, which is at Tikal, that pops in your head that the radial pyramid looks so nice. The Castillo uh, is around in 900, somewhere in that range, eight, 900. And again, these things take time, not because it takes time to build, it, because they build in stages like they'll build a pyramid and then they'll build a better one on top of it like that's right and that but that's about a thousand years ago yeah but yeah but a thousand years ago right what i find to be hilarious is that right the the roman Colosseum is what 180 yeah it's a thousand years older than that it's a thousand years older that or almost sense that sense of that sense of i guess kind of proto-history or pre you know mythic history like you're saying it does get squashed and i i honestly well, and the, and the Romans, interestingly, because people sort of see the Rome, European people see the Romans as and their settlers elsewhere, see them as sort of their ancestors. I think for many people, Rome would feel less ancient. Yes. Than Chichen Itza, even though Chichen Itza is a thousand years later. That's what I was going to say. I When I think about, you know, when I think about um, Roman times, I think of them being you know, first of all, you think the of them point. as being English in terms of their yeah, accents. Well, yeah, right. Well, well, listen. I'm my my mom is from Italy, so I think of them like I oh, okay. essentially think well, of my for, mom in a toga. Okay, good for you but, because <laughs> no one else does. They all think of them like, oh, well, they're patricians. They must sound like this. No, yeah, no. I'm thinking of uh, I'm thinking of two hairy dudes yelling at each other about garlic. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, as is my upbringing. How um, much? How much amazing would it be if there was a like dramatic history? story like a like a series about rome but they went that way well that would be so great right yeah i know seriously it'd be hilarious two guys yelling about a parking space for their uh you know their chariots or whatever on the street but no it's always it's always british and shakespeare and all of the romans because they're civilized well i still think the best one and this one does have this too is i claudius did you ever see that when it no i didn't actually no oh my god i claudius is so good you have to check it out yeah um my mom is listening to this show as it's going out on the air and she's she's shaking her head like, yeah, that's right. I, tra- <laughs> I taught my son well. I, Claudius, was a great show. Um, the thing with, uh, so the idea of that kind of collapse of history, I wonder how much of that isn't from, too, um, just the fact that, like, when I was a kid and I was interested in archaeology, the books that I read, even the books that I would get out from the library on archaeology or on like ancient Maya or, uh, you know, uh, even Rome or whatever, they seem to have come from pseudo archaeologists. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm trying to think. I think the first book I read on archaeology, and maybe this is just because I was a weird kid, but one of the first books in archaeology I picked up as a kid being interested in this stuff um, was like a Von Daniken. Do you know yeah, what I mean? No, and and there is so one of the things I talk about at at the end of Spooky is how there used to be more impetus and more more practice, I would say, of people putting out um I mean, archaeologists putting out books for a, a larger public. And I think there's a couple of things going on there. Uh first of all, I'll just say I'll just straight up say it. Uh I'm presuming you grew up in America, like as in the United States, 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Course, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the problems there is that when you're talking about archaeology here, there's an inherent colonialism. And so there's mm. a lot less interest here than, say, in Europe uh, to talk about archaeology because there's this, well, that's not us. So first of all, there's never been in the U.S. as much of a popular archaeology. It's been there. It's been there. But there's been nowhere near as much as of a popular archaeology literature and outreach um, as there has been elsewhere, because we, again, we keep basically one of the things we're, we're just going to have to, I, I have a couple of drinking words. Theosophy is one. Uh, Victorian <laughs> is one. And the phrase uh, crazy white people should, should be one. And, <laughs> and, and that's part of the, that's part of the issue here with specifically the U S uh, I would say there's more issues though. Uh, one is I, I would argue that with the professionalization of archaeology, particularly with the tenure university system, that disincentivized speaking to the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it all there's always been lip service. And there are some venues out there. I mean, for example, there's the press, and I have no relationship. I've never published anything with them. I'd love to. Uh, Thames and Hudson, uh, mm-hmm. which actually does put out like really good, low-cost, really pretty books on archaeology. But yeah, you're right. For a, a lot of the time, because people are not incentivized if they're academic archaeologists to write about things for a popular audience, as you found, top archaeologists used to do that more than they do now. And there are people that do. I'm looking at um, on my shelf, Eric Klein's Three Stones Make a Wall. Uh, I'm looking at Brian Fagan's Eyewitness to Discovery. There are archaeologists that do that, but I would say it is disincentivized and where that has happened um, Others have stepped in. Uh, mm-hmm. Alternative archaeology. It's not entirely their fault, though. So, give me. Let me give you an example. You you know Time Team, right? Sure. Yeah, the UK show, giant hit in the UK, right? How many seasons made those archaeologists famous? They tried to do Time Team in the US, and they got two half seasons on PBS. Mm-hmm. There's just, mm-hmm. and they did a fine job of it. They did nothing wrong. That colonial aspect, I think, has something to 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 do with it, which is why. Uh, you know, it's America that basically has created, not initially, but has sort of popularized, although you could argue Lovecraft did it, um, ancient aliens. Right. And and that's part of, I think, the, you know, we have a similar, I mean, this show, we talk about it, similar, the similar challenges in the kind of, you know, chemistry, physics, materials realms, Mm -hmm. right? And I know biology has the same challenges too, where, you know, popular notions of biology or yeah, especially medicine, with medicine or yeah. Yeah, you know, it's the popular the the pop cultural view of these sciences ends up coming through a couple of single, you know, couple of mouthpieces. Yeah. And frankly, in the sciences, we've probably had better or at least in the in, let's say physics, astronomy has always had kind of good mouthpieces for themselves. Yeah, but they're I'm not they're- sure that the other I mean, yeah. they've had better ones. I'm not sure that the other sciences, you know, I don't know if I can name off the top of my head. I mean, chemistry doesn't really have the same kind of public relations nightmare that, you know, uh, fields like, let's say, archaeology does with ancient aliens. But, you know, I really can't I can't think off the top of my head of a um, of an archaeologist that I could name that isn't just some guy. I mean, they're not even archaeologists. They're just people on TV. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of mass media, we've not had the luck of having uh, a Sagan uh, mm-hmm. or, or you know, and there are a couple of others there. 
But uh, there have been in the past, uh, there have been a number, uh, some of them who were good media and maybe weren't great people. And I don't want to get into the history of that. But um, mm-hmm. there have been some that actually have been good at media. Uh, right now, it's it's not as much. And I will tell you, you know, I, I do occasionally talk to to media producers and they want something, you know, and I'm talking right now. I don't want to get into that. Uh, but there's already a pattern there. And that pattern's mm-hmm. been long set by things like ancient aliens, frankly. Yeah, that's yeah. we've we've had similar conversations with some production teams that were interested in yeah. maybe doing a science show or something. And what always ends up coming up is, you know, well, what's worked in the past? And it's like, well, no, what's worked in the past have come up with terrible, non-scientifically valid shows. Were, were, <laughs> were you the one who was talking? I, I, I was listening and I think it might have been you. There was something that you that you said that I really liked about like street teams and, and disaffected guys online talking about some of the ufo stuff but did you talk about the whole streaming business and like people getting snapped up is that you uh no okay actually so I, I i'm trying to think who talked about this and talked about it in relationship to um sort of what's on cable tv like what's on uh-huh. you know which is where a lot of this stuff is like the various channels and making the point that a lot of the really kind of the high-end expensive stuff is going to the streaming channels sure which kind of makes you know uh basic cable really started you know again as a co-host of in research of one of the reasons we're watching in search of again is it's the beginning of paranormal television like Mm -hmm. it really is the beginning i mean there's a few things before it but everything kind of comes from it and so we're watching the development of this thing and the period that really changes stuff in my opinion is the 90s when you have Mm -hmm. the the learning channel and the history channel and all these other things start to kind of dip into that well on a persistent basis and now that's what a lot of them it's all they do um and i i heard an argument i really wish i could remember who this was uh making the argument that with the streaming channels sort of you know spending triple or, or nine di- you know nine figure to make deals with people like jj abrams and all these other folks uh that's leaving basically just tabloids for uh like the the basic places interesting yeah, yeah you know I, so I it's exacerbating the problem which is why you have channels that don't have the word paranormal in their name but everything they show is paranormal right yeah the history channel being probably the worst example of that well um, i mean honestly there's others like travel and others that like you go look at their schedule that's true that's, that's all they've got that's true actually i don't even consider travel to be it's funny i think because i didn't have the travel channel growing up i don't consider it to be like a part of like the basic cable package thing but i I didn't have it either but yeah right you know it's funny the the channel that i always want actually is the smithsonian channel because they actually do play things that are Mm -hmm. kind of archaeological at least at least more archaeological right Yeah. yeah um but yeah it's so fascinating i mean i I think do you think that there is a issue with so uh, you know, another part of this argument that you've made, and you've mentioned it a couple of times here now, is this idea of the colonialization or the mm-hmm. um, that uncomfortableness, I think, that comes from the idea. Or not, I, don't, I don't really know if it's uncomfortableness, but people – a lot of this stuff, a lot of these these pieces – and you talk about this in your in your book as well to, to some extent. A lot of these pieces of, of history, a lot of these pieces that we're, we're looking at mm-hmm. – come from frankly are, are stolen 
not oh yeah you know yeah. from from uh ancient sites or from ancient peoples or are you know and so there's this gamut between kind of you know um let's say like a mummy right where or, or uh, you know the the items inside of a mummy's chamber or the kind of kind of burial chamber whatever you'd call it um where they come over and then you know we're we've we show them in a way that's not accurate and uh, all this stuff and it's played up to be spooky and ghostly and all that other junk to now in the modern day. And I mean, this happened back then too, but in the modern day now I'm just thinking, you know, major channels or you know, basic cable channels, let's say some of which we've already mentioned promoting, you know, kind of uh, false claims about yeah. the bodies, you know, the literal remains. Well, uh, of and I'll, I'll say this as, as much as, as much as I just said, there are some not good things on basic cable and all of that. Those channels are still not as bad as what you can find online. Absolutely. It's not, it's not getting better online. Cause yeah, well, as you know, if we put everything in the hands of people on Twitter and YouTube, it'll be just fine. Nothing bad will happen um, at all in the slightest sense that's that's the lesson we've learned in the last few years and all of that's a lie uh so for example <laughs> there is an online streaming service that will not go named but if i describe it you'll know exactly who it is uh that wants to make itself in essence the netflix of the paranormal uh where they have tons of paranormal stuff and they opened up with an investigation and they continue to to, to promote this uh, I listened to a podcast recently where somebody involved with this this channel or this thing, this business, was talking about it, where human remains, and they say, oh, no, no, it's not this, and they have reptiles. Like, yeah, okay. Everyone who's actually looked at this, who's not involved with trying to sell it as aliens or weirdness, has said those are Peruvian mummy bundles mm-hmm. where the, they've been modified, the hands and feet have been modified, and they've slapped plaster or clay or something on it to make them look like aliens and it is involved with looters it is involved with a ufo religious group um and they've been wildly promoting it and and other things like it so yeah no absolutely uh people will literally indigenous people and and sometimes not even necessarily indigenous they may or may not be the um ada the atacama mummy did you see this the one's about a foot long yeah that's not even ancient no, it's, it's about like, 60 years old. It's like, hey, yeah. I went grave digging. I found uh, um, an alleged alien. It's actually just someone's, you know, it's basically a fetal child that was buried in a graveyard in, I believe, Peru. And on top, or maybe it's it's Atacama, so maybe it's a little farther south. And on top of all that, then a person who's heavily associated with consciousness and UFO research, who very much fits into your Bigelow series, uh, said, oh, it had all these genetic anomalies. It's not an alien, it had all these genetic anomalies. And even that paper got critiqued. It's like, actually, this is all bad. This is all yeah. bad. It's a yeah. huge, it's it's a huge, um, I mean, I, I can't, I don't understand how it's not a bigger scandal. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I it's, do. It's, it no, seems- I, absolutely, I absolutely do. If it's about weird, th- okay, again, the person involved here, I'm not going to name because frankly, they're alive, but this is very much out there. Uh, there was a major writer about alien abduction uh, using hypnosis, all these things. This person was not a psychiatrist. They were not a psychologist. They are now retired. They were a professor of history. Yeah. And they were very involved um, in looking at alien abduction. And there were allegations, some of which were backed up by tapes, of 
lots of lots of problems, lots and lots of problems, huge problems. And uh, nothing happened with the IRB at that university. They said that this individual was taking oral histories, you know, using hypnosis about aliens and saying, here's why. If that had been a study, in my opinion, if that had been a study on childhood trauma and the exact same thing happened, it would have been a scandal. But because it's about little gray men and reptile hybrids and invasions, I think people were just like, yeah, don't touch that. Don't, right. Like, who cares? No. Yeah, no. Yeah. Or, I think that, or why get involved? It'll just bring the fact that they're doing this at our university will bring more scandal than just or, trying to fix it. Or not even. I mean, you're, you're not wrong. I, I agree with all that. But I think even just at some point, people just like, what? What? Yeah. What? Like when I talk about this stuff from a not believer, from like a, an analyst perspective, when I say, oh, aliens didn't build the pyramids, everyone is like, oh, they're clapping. And, and like, and again, like and I, not students, but like my not my colleagues here, but like when I talk to other academics about this and then when I'm like, so now I'm going to tell you about Skinwalker Ranch. Now I'm going to tell you about the dog man. Now I'm going to tell you about the Paranormal Unified Field Theory. At some point, they're like, hey, hey there. there, I'm Hannah and I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon. Yeah, I I don't know. And again, not from a literally just from a cultural analysis perspective that I'm not yeah. promoting. I'm just and they're like, ah, oh, this is too. No, I can't deal with this. This well, is outside me, my world. It makes me wonder because honestly, I think that there is a lot. They can of handle this. Aztec human sacrifice, but they can't handle that. <laughs> right. If only, if only there was more bloodletting, Jeb. Yeah. Um, the thing the. One of those aspects there that it's kind of funny is this challenge of making this serious enough. And I think that's partly what you're kind of getting at there. Uh, well, because I, I think people don't want it to be like they were like, oh, no. ah, they believe in, in this. It's like, yeah. And this has no relationship at all to the fact that conspiracy culture has taken over <laughs> our political rhetoric. Right. No relationship in the slightest. It's a tr- it's a huge part of American yeah. kind of the history of American thinking. Yeah. And it's going to be the central, you know, uh, just like the hippie movement was kind of the, you know, the scoffed at social movement in the 50s and 60s. And then nowadays is considered a serious kind of I mean, Joe Rogan serious. is our Abby Hoffman. Exactly. Yes. It's a it's a crazy thing. But conspiracy is kind of our counterculture it is is. absolutely is and and there are historical examples feel free to name them in your head when conspiracy and anti-modern counterculture takes power and it always goes very well in the 1930s in central europe it always goes great yeah that yeah oh my god that's the thing 
that is so frustrating is there are these clear historical parallels. There are these clear, you know, these and again, not by, even by history. Into by the, history, you mean that the the aliens helped the ancient Maya build pyramids, right? That's what I mean. Yeah, you know that the aliens are coming back. I mean, this is the problem. No, and and, and I've been on other shows. There, there was one we did um, on Monster Talk, a two parter, pretty epic, with Blake and 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 Jerry Drake on the Shaver Mysteries, which is in essence the proto history of UFOs. It's like in essence mm-hmm. where flying saucers come from, and we talked about in the second half. How, you know, we would have maybe years ago had the, int- the the intention of, oh, let's, you know, have fun with this. And it's like, oh, he's talking about this and it's weird. It's goofy. And we're like, yeah, and we saw where this went. And it's not funny. It's not funny at all. No, it stops. I, I think it's the part of this that people ignore or don't look at what they don't see on shows like Ancient Aliens or on these other kind of, you know, whatever are the people who are, you know, I mean, just look at any of these, uh, look at any of these, every every holiday since the kind of QAnon conspiracy became a thing oh, has been a terrifying um, look at human, uh, I don't know, human relationships on Twitter because yeah. people are saying, you know, well, I'm all alone this year. Or my wife wants to divorce me or, you know, yeah. my uh Yeah, I my saw that husband, thread recently, yeah. Yeah, you know that kind of stuff. Like it's it is doing real damage to people. Well, and it, on the on the individual level, it absolutely is. And then the at the cultural the, level, at the cultural the level, the yeah. the buy into, you know, everybody makes the joke. We live in a society, you know that meme. Right. Well, the the whole point of that, frankly, I would argue the whole point of that joke is that there is a massive ideology that basically is like, yeah, we don't, and I'm going to try to break it as hard as I can. And that's what this stuff is doing. It it's such really a is. weird, it's such a weird, it's such a weird world we live in right now. Oh, I know. Um, I know. I mean, just, you know, it's, it's people, like I do keep up with the news in ways, but, but people keep like, oh, did you see the thing? I'm like, no, I'm not. Yeah. And then God forbid, I try to tell them what I know is going on. And they're like, like please don't. I can't, I need to finish my work today. I can't, I can't, right. well, I, so I can't, I can't get the bottle. No one in my office has a bottle on the desk. I'm speaking metaphorically, but it, feel, <laughs> it feels like that. I, I, it feels like that sometimes. It, I will yeah. say I had a moment like that earlier this year. Do you remember the bug apocalypse article in the New York times? Do you remember that, that one? I, I, I hope it wins a Pulitzer. There was this article about um, the collapse of insect populations. Oh, sure. Okay. And, yeah, yeah. and, you know, I had always thought that, oh, well, you know, we may go extinct, which is bad enough, but like the earth will be fine without us in yeah. a few million years. And this article is like, yeah, vast majority of insects populations are endangered. And I just, I read this and I was just like, I know it's early, but I'm going to the cabinet now because. Right. Yeah. It's going to, yeah. The, the, holy the crap. The world will not be okay. We're ruining. Yeah. yeah. Like that was, that was a a horrifying read. And it just seems like, is there a day where we don't have that feeling right now? And part of it is this, you know, I just, I just, you know, re retweeted uh, an article talking about all the women who are, uh, who are testifying in these hearings and other hearings and how the idea of speaking truth to power doesn't exist anymore. It's speaking truth to nonsense it's speaking truth to a power that just isn't simply go- just simply is not going to listen anymore. Like, mm-hmm. and that's, I think conspiracy culture is part of that because it's literally the entire point of conspiracy culture is 
I'm not going to believe what you say because you're in on it or the yeah. people you listen to are in on it because you're sheeple. And that's so corrosive. That is so, corruption is corrosive and that is corrosive. And luckily neither of those is rampant right now. <laughs> one of the, uh, one of the sections of the book that you talk about a lot that I thought was one of my, one of my, again, some of my favorite parts of the book were about these lost continents mm-hmm. and it actually brought, it brought to mind this, uh, an argument or a discussion. I not really an argument, but a discussion I had on, on Twitter uh, actually, not that long ago, like this continued yesterday. Even um, this idea of of UFOs um, and these kind of, you know, again, I, I would almost argue that UFOs are a form of lost civilization um, today. You know, I mean, we yeah. it's not in the same way, but you know, we think of this. A lot of the mythology has shifted from okay, well, Atlantis wasn't a thing or whatever, but you know, but now people are saying, well, there's but there is an underground base of aliens someplace. Oh yeah, the, the Antarctica, because because luckily no one who was a racist who lived in Providence in the 1930s, brought up the idea that there was an ancient alien civilization uh, buried <laughs> under Antarctica that was our gods, monsters, and demons, which if you're not following, uh, turns out, and again, I write about this in the book, please go read Jason Colavito's blog, just don't read the comments, because uh, they're a bit of a mess. Uh, they're always a mess. He, he, he has done so, he's, I can't think of anyone who's done more work to on a daily basis confront alternative archaeology and, and related things like ufology, conspiracy stuff. Uh, but he very much made a lot of the initial ties of showing direct links between alternative archaeology ideas and the fiction of Lovecraft. Uh, right. So that's, that's what I'm referring to. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Well, I mean, that, he that basically another- creates the idea that aliens and Atlantis are the same thing. I mean, he he more or less equates those two. I was going to uh, say another another great chapter in the book. The last is the, this is not the last chapter. Was the second to last chapter? Yeah. I want to say yeah on um yeah on Lovecraft and his connection to all of these ideas. Oh yeah, no, um, I, I it's it's so deep in there, and and the more you get into it, uh, that's that is so important. This paranormal unified. I'm going to share a little bit of research with you. Uh, I'm working on a thing. And I, I don't want to get into the specifics of the thing, but uh, I was reading a a Ghost Hunters manual yesterday. I'm not going to say which one it is. It's 210 okay. pages. Of those 210 pages, 204 pages are ghosts or ancient spirits. Ghosts are, you know, <laughs> the, you know, the usual, just like what you'd expect from like Ghost Hunters, you know? Sure. And then there's a six page piece on portal hauntings, portals. And... In those six pages, there's archaeology, there's ley lines, there's Indian burial grounds, there's Mothman, there's UFOs, and there's demons. None of that shows up in the rest of the book. That is that Lovecraftian sort of dark landscape where you're, you know, you're like you're saying, I, and I like how you're putting it, that in essence, aliens are now a lost civilization. They've they've merged with Atlantis, in essence. Yeah. Well, what's what's interesting, so so for listeners that don't know. Uh, Jeb is now you're now doing work on the paranormal unified field theory. Yeah. Which, which of course this, people had talked about something like that before. I just gave it the acronym puffed. Yeah. So it's, it's this, it's this idea though. And we've, we've talked about it on the show before too. And well, yeah, you've you done know, Skinwalker, which is one of the whole right, holy spots of like, this ideology. <laughs> right. The, the central spoke in some weird ways, but you know, um, as Forrest Burgess on Astonishing Legends would say, right. It's the idea that everything is connected. All of this stuff um, maybe has a single the neat, phenomenon right yeah, yeah it all has a kind of single neat 
um, explanation similar to in physics, this, the unified field theory. And I will say this. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, so what I was going to say is what I actually find to be interesting, and this is kind of a funny thing, right? Physics has in some ways been at a dead standstill since we started looking for the unified field. I am not a physicist, but I know what you're saying. (laughs) Right. So for, and for listeners that, that don't know or don't follow this, there, there have actually been some kind of popular articles on this right at the moment. Um, the unified field theory in physics would suggest that everything is explicable by a couple of like, – a fundamental kind of equation, the M equation, right? the, the ultimate equation. Isn't that the anti-life equation, equation in comics? Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. It's so the uh, – yeah, I hope, I hope that's not how it works. But um, the, the way that the equation supposedly works is that, okay, well, if everything is reducible to um, particles – and if all particles are reducible to for the four fundamental forces or, you know, the, the fundamental forces, however many they end up being, um, four has a, is has, the, a, has a nice four elemental, uh, feel to it. It does. Well, that's what I was going to, that's what I was going to say is, um, it seems like this sort of theory has failed. It, it's not working for physics at the moment. I don't think, I can't think of another or a, a more perfect encapsulation of kind of our, um, our cultural thinking being applied to these ideas to, you know, we talk on the show a lot about, okay, well, you know, over time, our view of the paranormal or the weird has changed. And that's that change has come about from our understanding of the world. Right. So back when we thought theology was uh, a true kind of science, um, you know, the idea of demons and ghosts and witches and everything else was considered to be a scientific study on its own. And so they, they thought that there would be rules and they fit these things, whatever. But over time, as our philosophy shifted from more of a kind of metaphysical to a naturalist uh, argument, and, you know, we, we were worried about causation and how, um, how, how the world could be experienced actually in the physical sense, those ideas of kind of a metaphysical, like a demon being as powerful as God – that shifted to, well, no, the demon is just super uh, natural. They're not, they are natural. They're still bound by the same physical laws that we're bound by. They're just, you know, faster or stronger or they're, whatever. They're, and they're quantum. Well, so, yeah, right. So over time though, that it's, it's kind of shrunk what a ghost or a demon or a UFO or whatever could be. This, this paranormal unified field theory that people are kind of propagating. I don't, I don't think, I don't know if everyone means to. But it seems like it would be a an intense um, – first off, I think it's it's doomed to failure in almost the same ways that it seems like physics attempts are doomed to failure. Um, I, I have a I thought. I, think, I, th- I, I want you to finish your thought, but I, I am going to disagree. I'm just going to say that. What I was going to say is I also think that it is a it – is, it is going to do things or it's logically going to – I don't think that many people in these fields would actually be happy with it all fundamentally coming down to one phenomena. I think that that is a, I think that just like a lot of say uh, people who are operating inside of sciences, outside of physics, maybe some of them would profess to be materialists, but when they, when you, when you push them on it, when you actually say, well, really, do you really think all of this reduces down to the operation of just four fundamental forces? I don't know many who would actually die on that hill. And I think the same thing is true for the paranormal world. I'm not sure that 
I mean, I don't think they've thought this deeply about it in the first place anyway. Well, so I, I agree. Matter. I agree with that. I agree with that. But it, for me, it's not an actual search for one phenomenon. It is the puffed is in essence the discarding of a period. It is the discarding of. So you mentioned how uh, Bigfoot and demon, or you know, monsters and demons and wonders started to become constrained. So they weren't just out there. They weren't just like a thing you could study. They had to be an extinct animal. They had to mm-hmm. be from outer space. They had to be uh, some kind of quantum energy we can't understand that somehow right. they had to, to fit in our science. Right. They had to fit into our scientific paradigm. The puffed is saying no to that. It is the discarding of that. It is the re-enchantment. Mm. Uh, they, it is called, you know, they're using the unified field theory thing then and physics is like, we want to reduce it down to this one thing. This is all of your ideas about this are wrong and anything goes. I actually would, I would say that it is in essence almost the opposite. Yeah, it is almost the opposite. Uh, what I would argue is that all of the ologies, which by the way, the first time I wrote that on a PowerPoint slide and it was the dash ologies, I realized what I had done, what I had done. <laughs> Think about it for a second. And you're like, Oh, roll on snare yeah but and that was not intentional um but all of the ologies cryptozoology parapsychology rather than spiritualism ufology rather than theosophy are basically reactions to the social capital of science in the from the late 19th to the middle and and second half of the 20th century well that social capital is declining so the the rise of in essence Achillean, and while there are other people, you know, there are, we could go through the names, some of whom are alive, some who are not. Uh, valet, uh, I would say, but Valet Keel Pudoff has become part of this. There are a few others, very much going towards. It's weird. It's I mean, Keel really is the big one in many, in many respects. It's weird. It's consciousness, but it's not just you know. There is no boundary there. Uh, I would I, I don't want to get into it in part because I'm still working on it in part because since I am still working on it I have some ideas that I am sort of holding back sure but I I would say that you can look at the sort of strands of the paranormal that have been separate and they each do a thing in how I'm thinking of the puffed they each have a role that creates, a, you know, the fact that I could look at that book I just mentioned. And as soon as they said portal, the fact that tumbled out for six pages, um, archaeology, ley lines, uh, monsters, demons, UF, you know, the fact that they was all together as soon as you said portal meant something. It is, it is, it is actually kind of an ideology. And I have spelled it out online in terms of its pieces, but yeah it's it's not be it's not trying to be reductive it is in essence trying to take the shackles off because for example think of how many parapsychologists and ufologists and and, and various pufters talk about consciousness being important you know so you could argue oh so they're they're reducing it down to consciousness from your your analogy from physics except then there's also mothman except right, so then what, that there's also Atlant- I mean in other words they're like it's consciousness and also all this other magical stuff it is in essence right. the return of magic well in a weird right in a weird way it's almost a it's it's almost almost more accurately described as sort of the uh reactionary yes 
reactionary push against naturalist yes uh, philosophy. Yes. And the thing is, is that that has now become overt. That used to be mm-hmm. covert. Um, and this I can say because it's all out there. I recently did uh, one of I think six essays for the Society for American Archaeology, the Archaeological Record, uh, and uh, these were all responses to Graham Hancock generally, and particularly mm. to his new book America Before, uh, which is sort of in many ways a culmination of a lot of his other stuff that he's written. It's changed a bit, but there are some core ideas about a psychic civilization in the past, you know, sort of an Atlantis type thing. And my article basically said, well, he is not a materialist. He's he he is. I, I use the phrase a mythographer for a post science age. Uh, he's interested in this, and, and it's the first time I've ever used puffed in in print. And when he responded, he basically said, "This is a fairly accurate description," <laughs> and that's fine. Like I like I yeah. was being analytical, um, but. You see, you know, there's there was a book by uh, I believe it was Jeffrey Kripal and and, and Willie Strieber, uh, I think they called it supernatural, in which they argue that science is a subset of a larger form of knowledge that's magic. And mm-hmm. other people have put, I think, I think Dean Radin put one. And there's a couple of people who have written something very similar in the last few years. Like this is an emerging thing of yeah, no magic. Magic is science is part of magic, but it, science is not all. There's consciousness and these other things. And when that, I sometimes like to think if you have heard of the whole like there's high like very philosophical Taoism, but then there's also like more alchemical Taoism. Yeah, sure. kind of like that. Where at the high end you have people talking about consciousness and psi and all these things, and then that trickles down to people looking for goblins in Kentucky via Mothman <laughs> in West Virginia. Right. I want. I wonder. You know, in or, these or other, dog man on Skinwalker Ranch. Anyway, continue. in these other cases, in these other cases, or in these other places where these other time periods where this kind of cyclical, because it's part of a larger cyclical series that occurs, it seems, you know, where. Um, well, paranormal we, stuff has been here before. And I mean, this very much feels like that moment in the 70s when you had Keel, you had Valet, you had Clark and Coleman both being like. Right. This. Well. That's what I'm I'm almost wondering though too if it's not part of a larger kind of cultural cycle we go through. You know, there's that there's a there was a paper that came out during Obama's presidency that compared the popularity of different horror movie genres during political seasons. I remember and so, that and I I'm not a huge fan of Zeitgeist history, but I remember that and I, I Well, so and yeah, and so that's I I wonder if I do wonder though if that is not um, what's the word? This seems very much so, like you said, a response to the kind of materialism that peaked, let's say, in the 80s and 90s um, of, and I don't mean materialism like, you know, I don't know, Gordon Gecko. No, no. You know, no, you mean materialism as, as explaining. Scientific. Well, I, yeah. would, I would say scientific. Ph- philosophical. I would yeah. say philosophical materialism. I would, okay, I would argue there's a couple things here. And this is going to start to get, I don't want to get super political, but it's, there's going to be aspects of just talking about how things work. Um, I would say from a scientific perspective, sort of the the height of material, like people trusting material explanations for things is probably the early 1960s. I, I would argue mm-hmm. that it's probably mm-hmm. say around 1964. Now, what happens in the 80s and 90s actually is the materialism that you mentioned with Gordon Gecko, 
where with the first, you know, there's a couple of transformations, but with the collapse of the Soviet Union, the, the sort of the rise of of a neoliberal capitalist world, you know, where you have multinational corporations, where you have, you know, integration with Chinese, you know, in other words, the world of Amazon, the world of mm-hmm. massive mm-hmm. corporations and all that, that explodes at that time. You can't divorce that from now, a lot of people feeling incredibly disaffected with elites, mm-hmm. with elite institutions, with the structures of power, you know, it's no shock that people think society is rigged and maybe there's conspiracies at a time of dramatically increased income inequality. Th- those are clearly related. You know, like, why are you going to believe that well, anybody can do anything in a world that creates far more billionaires than it creates middle right, class. Right, where clearly, where clearly that appears to not be the case. Yeah, so, I, I so that that's a that I, that feeds into it. It really does. Well, and so that's I think kind of part of where I was getting was, I wonder if there are lessons in those earlier cycles like this, where like you said, you have a you have a period where science appears to be, you know, with the dropping of the atomic bomb and with nuclear energy and with all these other things it appears that science has won out that science is going to be able to um you know make these uh, make the world in its image and then people realize that that kind of materialism and its philosophical implications towards religion and ethics and morals and spiritualism and whatever um leave them feeling hollow in some ways, I don't and think so it's the then, science, though. I don't think it's the science. No, no, I, I, I don't think so either. Yeah, I think from, I think science gets lumped in with larger structures of power. Yeah, which scientists well, yeah. don't think about. They think that they're speaking truth to power when, in reality, they're the, right part of the structure. They they may not be making the decisions, but they are part of the structure. Yes. Well, so that's and so that's what I'm wondering then is that you know so we have this period where people then feel like they've been. Uh, that they're not getting the kind of fulfillment or the promises yeah. made aren't kept. And so then they react. And so now we're pushing back against this, let's say scientism, right? Not necessarily science, but this kind of myth of science will give well, us this, the answers. This, this myth that the elites know what they're doing. Yes. Right. And, and, but in, in, in some funny ways then though, we have kind of these, the die as that idea dies, we almost have kind of the flickers, the embers, relighting in small cases right i mean i would argue that uh i would argue that the to the stars academy thing is a is a dying appeal to power right it's well oh, no, yeah. these authorities are well and that's the truth well so that, that that's a very interesting point because ufos so i i wrote an article in um or a chapter in 2016 in a book i edited lost city found pyramid i added to this with david anderson and mine was on steampunk inquiry where I make okay. the argument that all of these ologies, like cryptozoology, like parapsychology, you can often see them emerging out of the moment when you begin to have the tension of professionalism. So like cryptozoology kind of emerges out of the transformations because it's, you know, there's there's science and all this, but it's really when Darwin hits and you get deep time in paleontology that, and 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 there's other things going on, but that like natural history stops being the thing and now it's, evolutionary biology and and paleontology you know in other words it's no surprise at that moment something like cryptozoology is constantly going back to that late victorian thing Hmm. uh parapsychology is going back you know it's no accident that parapsychology 
its origins and many of the things it's interested in are coming out of the wreckage of what starts to happen with things like Freud and, and psychology. Mm-hmm. UFOs, while its roots are in theosophy, and that I think that's hard to argue uh, against, mm-hmm. but people I'm sure will, um, when it really emerges is right in, in the 1940s and 50s um, at the dawn of the space age, at the dawn of like professional, you know, when, when aeronautics becomes huge, you know, after World mm-hmm. War II, it can't be divorced from the security state issues of that time. You know, the fact that the same year that flying saucers break is the same year the CIA is founded, the same year that the National Security Council is founded, the National Security Act, in essence, the putting of the United States on a permanent war footing rather than ramping down. Mm-hmm. UFOs, if you're using that term, are inextricable from, and they fetishize notions of government power and military. So they still don't believe in in authorities in various places, but it, it can't be distinguished from that. And, mm-hmm. and when you get something like the puffed, it is so this has been one of the surprises for me. This is this has been one of the weird things for me. So on the one hand, everyone who's actually involved in TTSA and ATIP is a puffer. Like Skinwalker Ranch, consciousness, weird portals, uh psychic, you know, research. You know, you know, you you know these people better than I do at this point. And with the series you've been doing, and they're all coming from that world. They're all coming from mm-hmm. SRI. They're all coming from skin, you know. Uh, yet, what is the popular appeal? It's this almost, it's this, it's this nuts and bolts. You're like, look, there's that video. Look, there's that tic tac. Look, there's that go fast. Yet, once you get past that level, I mean, my God, they hired Peter Lavenda to write Tom <laughs> DeLong's books. If you don't know who Peter Lavenda is, let me put it this way. He writes about Nazi occultism, and a lot of people have suggested, though he denies it, that he wrote the Simon Necronomicon. <laughs> what do you Only want me to best. say? Yeah, Only and, and, best, and I've, I just I've just ordered his book, uh, the the Secret Machines, after reading Jason Colavito's review, where it's straight up about these kinds of issues, mm-hmm. and it's not even a matter of quality; it's a matter of. So I have been surprised that you're right. So it's this dying. It feels in some ways like this dying attempt to use the symbols of of government and of um, nuts and bolts like videos and pilots and that that feels very Stanton Friedman. Yeah. Yet what they're doing is 180 degrees the other way. It's like come for the blurry videos, stay for the ghostly dire wolf on a haunted ranch <laughs> full of space. <laughs> well, it's one of those uh... – it's like that. What is that? That movie where? Uh, so spoilers, listeners. That movie, Marley and Me, right? Where they kind of did the head fake, where all the commercials were about this. Look like this, like Christmas heartfelt movie about a nice dog that oh, brings yeah. his family together, and then the movie's like, hey, the dog gets killed, and everyone yeah. left the theater freaking out. It feels like that kind of head fake. Where, well, like you said, they're no, we're nuts and bolts. We're serious science about this stuff, and then, but if you dig a little deeper, it's. Yeah, it's all mysticism in Atlantis and well, and and I um, think why is because of the media. So yes. I mean, you've covered this, and again, there are names we know who they are. Uh, TTSA lives and dies on coverage, frankly, uh, by certain people in the New York Times. Like, let's just say mm-hmm. that. Uh, and there have been other outlets, but that's been the primary one that's really pushed them uh, since 2017. I think you have to have that. Like Bigfoot still has to be an ape man 
for the media to care. It can't mm-hmm. be an, a leftover ascended master from Lemuria. It can't be a transdimensional portal hopping, you know, whatever, because the media is going to be like, just like we were talking about earlier with, with academics, like the media's going to be like, wait, what? So mm-hmm. UFOs for media still have to be um, that. They still have to be things from outer space that fly in the sky for it to go in media. When you go to social media, when you go to YouTube, people mix it up. When they're actually doing it in their books, people mix it up. But that There has to be that core thing. Ancient aliens still has to be, aliens came and built the pyramids and spaceships. Even though if you watch Ancient Aliens, it's about portals, it's about extra dimensionals, it's about Nephilim, it's about, you know, lost, it's, it's theosophy mixed with mm-hmm. other weirdness. But no, there, it, it's a mess. It's a real mess. <laughs> Maybe that's the best way to close this out here, Jeb. Yeah. I love talking to you, man. Seriously, you're you're. Um, I cannot wait for the next book. Yeah, there's um, no there's no there's out. no deal at the moment. I'm just doing work, and actually, what I'm working on right now is an article. The way I write is I start some of my ideas and I start putting them into an article or a chapter, and when they click, you can you go back and look at the stuff I wrote before Spooky. You can see like chapter one. You can see sure. chapter eleven. Not because they're the same one, but you can, you know, not yeah, unlike, ideas get formed. Yeah, not unlike, unlike, say, what Philip Corso said. Turns out, transistors and other things had development over time. They just didn't land in a ship in 1947 and get put in a filing cabinet. <laughs> I, I, I don't digress. I think I just grassed. So. Yeah, it's good stuff. No, it's it fits in perfectly, man. Listeners, uh, please go check out um, in research of the new podcast by Jeb Card and Blake Smith. Super good. Uh, check out and buy Spooky Archaeology. Available on Amazon. It is a very good read, especially if you're interested in this stuff. I I honestly can't think of a better primer on these subjects. Uh, you know, from this perspective. Uh, seriously, go check it out. Take a read. And uh, Jeb, thanks so much for coming on, man. We'd love to have you come back anytime. Yeah, thank you for having me, and I'd be happy to do so. Sweet. All right. Thank you, listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist Podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you again, dear listeners, for listening to the Mad Scientist Podcast. I have been your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. If you'd like to contact the show, please send us an email at themadscientistpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter at madscientistpod or at teamgiantsquid for Marie. And of course, you can see us on Facebook, on Instagram, and all over the internet as the Mad Scientist Podcast. And again, our logo is the one with the pumpkin head, so it's easy to see. Mm-hmm. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, please consider supporting us on Patreon where the money that you give to us will help us to promote this show further, to make it better, and just to spend more time making it. We love doing that. We do love doing that. Our logo was designed by Carrie Shaheen. Our web design is done by Desdemona Howard. And our sound design is done by Jake Cardinal. Thanks again for listening. (laughs) Thank you. This has been a damn it chippy production. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. 
We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.